What's up, Shooters Pod Universe? Nick Bacone here, co-host of the Straight Shooters Podcast. Classic episode week continues. We are uploading number 326 in your house, 15, Cold Day in Hell. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Undertaker for the WWF title. Heart Foundation in the front row. Kent Shamrock versus Vader. Rocky Maivia versus Mankind. Flash Funk versus Triple H. It was a great time in May of 1997. So here's our cold day in hell. Deep dive. Enjoy. It's time to go back in time to 1997. May of 1997. Nick, are you ready to dive deep? Into Cold Day in Hell from WWF. Yeah. That was one long curse word? <laughs> it, it was. I'm gonna, I didn't realize it was that long. So. <laughs> you should leave it in. Oh, I, should. I was like, what? I thought it was something broke. <laughs> I thought we had a malfunction of this microphone. It's all messed up now. Well, after like two seconds, I was like, oh, shit. I hope like, <laughs> you didn't off. even use it to actually bleep out your actual curse. <laughs> That's uh, funny. Maybe I'll leave this whole thing in just because. <laughs> why not? Yeah, why not? Why not? But uh, all right, let's hit that intro. As we sat on the edge of Armageddon, I am not afraid. WWF In Your House 15 Cold Day in Hell took place back on May 11th, 1997. Another Mother's Day show here on the Straight Shooters. It took place at the Richmond Coliseum in Richmond, Virginia. There were 14,381 people in attendance, according to good old Wikipedia, which has never let us down. Mm-hmm. Funny story about Wikipedia real quick. I was at a uh, work function a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was like a, hey, everybody, welcome back, you know, kind of thing. Like, we're back together once again. And one of the newer employees, she started within the last year or so, uh, we used to work at Wikipedia. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I say on my podcast all the time that it's never let me down. She's like, well, did you donate, though? I was like, that's a whole other question that I wish not to answer. <laughs> but that's a good question by you. Uh, so, yeah, a little aside there that's funny. Uh, about Wikipedia. <laughs> Yeah, because I ain't donated a damn dime to Wikipedia, but probably should. Given I may that. have donated one dollar in my life uh, so far, so I could at least say I did donate. Well, you're better than me. <laughs> I was stuck when she asked me. That. I was like, "Oh, good question." <laughs> so change yeah, the subject yeah, real stuck. quick, huh? <laughs> oh yeah, I tried to. I just ran away at that. Actually, I just you're like, how about that top hat gill? <laughs> right, just dropped my beer and just ran. Like, ah, no. <laughs> Accountability, no. 
<laughs> so, but there's that. This show came at an interesting time for WWF. We're after WrestleMania, right? Where The Undertaker, he won the championship. But a future megastar also had, to this point, his finest moment. And that person being Steve Austin. And now here they are on this show, main eventing this pay-per-view for the WWF championship. But you also got Ken Shamrock in the fold. Right? He's having his first WWF pay-per-view match. And then you got Bret Hart in the middle of a heel turn. But Shawn Michaels, he's somewhere around too. <laughs> right? Even though he isn't necessarily wrestling yet. I don't think he was wrestling. he was back just yet, right? No, I think but he's, he's in, he's in where the- his first match was a couple weeks away. There you go. So he's he's just out there in the ether in WWF. And then he also was still firmly in a war with World Championship Wrestling, which WWF was losing at this point. Let's not mistake it. Mainly because of the New World Order, which is the hottest angle in wrestling, going at this point, and a pretty strong undercard. WWF, on the other hand, was very strong at the top, but was severely lacking depth. Right? You had Steve Austin, you had Undertaker, you had Brett and Sean and... Mankind, after that, ooh, getting a little thin there, you know, getting a little thin. You had Nation Domination and Ahmed Johnson and Owen Hart, Hart Foundation, that's about it. Ahmed Johnson! Exactly. <laughs> this show, though, is also Steve Austin. Guess what? I don't take my Prozac anymore. And when I get off Prozac, brother, you don't know <laughs> What a wild statement. What a wild statement that would not be okay today. No. When I get on my Prozac, you don't know what might happen. I don't even, I don't even know what Prozac was. I'm like, what? But back in the 90s, they made it seem like only crazy people took yeah. Prozac. Yeah. You know, because mental health wasn't a thing. Yeah, it was, it was a... Normal uh, or crazy. It was a punchline, you know, in school. Right. You know? Right. But this show, moving on to a different bald person... Steve Austin, again, had his finest moment at WrestleMania 13. This is only his second pay-per-view main event to date, with the first one being Final Four, which is right before WrestleMania. But this is also his very first one-on-one WWF championship match. And the show, of course, is partly named after him. He's the cold and cold day in hell, and hell being Undertaker. So even though he's in this main event spot, you know, he's this is the second main event in like four months, this was still a year, almost a year after the Austin 316 promo. So he's still just kind of finding his footing. I guess maybe you can say he started finding it in Survivor Series in 96, maybe around that time. But still getting there. Still getting well, there. Well, he technically, this was his third. What was this, what was the other one? He the April in your house. He I guess that was a technical main event because him and Bret Hart closed the show. Oh, Revenge you're of the Taker. Right. Revenge of the Taker. That was they like did the close DQ the show. Finish. That's right. So, you're right. Um, you're and then right. hey, in January he won the Royal Rumble. So like what a year it's been so far for Stone Cold Steve That's Austin. That's true. That's true. It's been a wild ride. But it took a while for that to get going after all the time. That WrestleMania match was the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. Yeah. We decided it. We decided. With Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair being number two, right? I believe that was the, the final. I think, I think Undertaker HPK beat it, didn't it? 
I don't know. No, I don't I remember. I went to the final. <laughs> Maybe. Listen back to the show and yeah. report back to us, everybody, to let us know how the results of our own tournament that we ran. Because uh, we forgot who was in the final of that I should have kept the bracket. Why did I throw the bracket out? Stupid. I, I still probably have it on my computer somewhere. I don't know. I got to look for it. But I, I don't feel like doing copy. it right now. Yeah. Just, just go back and, and listen to it and report back to us, folks out there. But this show uh, was... We talked about a lot about the in the last episode, like the 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 stuff that led to in your house being a thing, right? This show by this point was nineteen ninety five, wasn't the fourteen ninety five anymore for in your houses, uh, and it drew according to WrestleNomics, one hundred and sixty three thousand North American buys. We did not mention the buys they had for the first in your house last time, but just for the record, it was one hundred and seventy two thousand. According to hmm. WrestleNomics, uh, we got Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross on the call with the theme song for the show being hella serious. Because, I mean, I guess so. It's it's a cold day in hell. So, I guess you don't make that comedic, right? Yes. Nothing funny about that. But the opening match at Cold Day in Hell, which is very serious theme song. How do we open this show? With Flash Funk. And the Funkettes. Well, no, no, no Funkettes. They were gone by this point. But Flash Funk is still here. Flash, you are so funky. Flash. Uh huh. I know that's right. Yep, that's how we start Cold Day in Hell, people. With Flash Funk, who did, again, did not have the Funkettes because. In storyline, they Bunchy were afraid cunts. of China. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which is understandable. That's right. In At real life, though, I think that. they were just let go. I think they were just released because mm. it's like what WWF always does. When they give somebody a big entrance and a lot of bells and whistles, then they lose faith, and slowly but surely, the, the bells and whistles whittle away <laughs> until it's just... Now, he's not even Flash Funk. He's just Scorpio. He's not even too cold Scorpio. He's just Scorpio. <laughs> In the job squad, you know, one, two, three, four, life. You know what I'm saying? Well, he has Stone Cold Steve Austin, so two cold Scorpio would confuse everybody. That's true. That's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, let's not confuse the two cold guys, the two temperature-based guys <laughs> who look nothing alike. Can't have two cold guys. You got to be hot. We got a cold guy already. You got to be too hot, Scorpio. No, they had a two hot guy. Two hot Scott Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't, can't be that guy now. Can't be too hot, Scott Taylor. So what do you do? Can't be lukewarm, Scorpio, either. Right. <laughs> you blazing hot? Room you temperature, do? Scorpio. Humid? You're just, you're just humid. I don't know. But he couldn't be too cold. We know that much. Uh, Jim Ross again on the call with Jerry Lawler. At one point, again, Flash Funk is going against Hunter Hearst Helmsley in the opening match. JR said before the match that Triple H was friends with John F. Kennedy Jr., oh. who, if you didn't know, is still alive, according to QAnon conspiracy <laughs> theorists. He's still here, and he's running for president. Oh. That's what people believe in the QAnon circles, apparently. Of course, in reality, JFK Jr. tragically died in a plane crash along with his wife and sister-in-law. But... Regardless of that tragedy that happened back in, I think, 99, 
right? Yeah, I believe so. That was widely reported and everybody knew about and mourned. Rightfully so. You know, it's tragic. Him and his wife and his yeah. sister-in-law all perished. Yeah, I remember my mom was very, very upset. Right. that was what her, like, I think she wanted, she loved JFK. JFK was her favorite president, so obviously she held a JFK Jr. in high regard. And Exactly. She was very, very upset. I remember that day very well. I was on the computer, too, so it was kind of just a crazy day. So it's not like this happened, like, in, like, the 30s and 40s right. when, you know, mainstream media really, really wasn't a thing. This was in 1999. This is all over the place. Yeah. You vividly remember when it happened. I remember when it happened. Everybody remembers when it happened. But instead, if you, you know, according to QAnon, they believe he's not only still alive, but will be Donald Trump's running mate for president in 2024. Oh. How wild and also horrible for the friends and families of those victims. You know what I'm saying? Like, can yeah. you imagine being that s- the, the yeah. sister-in-law and the wife, and they got, you know, that's your cousin or your sister, your homie, you're like, damn, how the hell are they going to say this about this person? Or your JFK Jr.'s family. It's like, what? I've been mourning this person for 20 years, and all of a sudden, they're all they're alive because you said so? Bro, come on. Yeah, Let's we, just uh, resurface the trauma. We talk about taking, like, this country can do a lot better with mental health, and that's part of it. You When you allow... On the internet, these conspiracy theories to gain steam, like, this is what happens. This is what it creates, and it's, there's no end in sight. There's really no end in sight for stuff like this, and it's like, like you said, for the victims and their families, it, it's, it just brings back, you know, haunting memories and stuff. Where Horrible they, memories, you know. It, it's, it's ridiculous. It's a tragedy. It's an absolute tragedy, but yet, he's still alive, and He's going to be Donald Trump's running mate in 2024. As much as we can laugh at these people who believe this, it's still horrible for the people you know, who were close to the people who died that day. And they got to relive the trauma of losing their loved one again. So that's yeah. not cool. Um, but we get a replay of China uh, hitting mankind with low blows because that's what she was out here doing. She's just beating guys up. And then... For some reason, Jr. mentions that Flash Funk had six kids at home. And it's just like, wait a minute. I've never heard of Scorpio having any children in real life. At least I've never heard of it. Have you ever heard of that? And I try to look into it. I didn't see anything about it. I'm not saying uh, he doesn't no. have any children. No. Usually. But as far as we know, we don't know if he has any kids. Right. And where has he been? Like, he's not in the wrestling uh industry anymore he's, is he he's popped up here and there on independent shows yeah okay. he's still out here and of course we saw him last year on uh dark side of the ring talking about beating up animal no it was a hawk it was hawk in the career that's right yeah not animal so he's still out here shout out to two core scorpio but i don't know if he has seven kids or six kids in real life so why why would he not only did he they give him his character children but six of them and it didn't feel like he's later when he's like, I got seven kids. I got eight kids. <laughs> and it was like for last because he's clearly lying. Like he's lying to garner sympathy from fans. The number of kids changed every week, though, <laughs> like, just because it was funny. Yeah. Right? It's almost like the guy from Total Recall who was like, I don't know if you've ever seen Total Recall, but every time he said he had, how many kids he had, it was like it changed every time. And eventually, he turned out to be, spoiler, he's a bad guy. He turned heel at the end of the movie, for wrestling fans who don't understand that. 
Um, but it seemed like it was like another black guy, you know, popping out a bunch of babies or six mm-hmm. little flashers, mm-hmm. flashes <laughs> running around. I'm just like, why would they do that to this guy? He's black. He's got to have seven, six, seven kids. So he got to support at home. Oh, he got a family to feed. So he really trying hard out here because he got to feed these babies. He's flash funk, bro. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. What? Why does he need to have six kids? He's like, I guess try to give him some background, some story, because I guess the Flash Funk thing wasn't working for them anymore. That wasn't it, though. No. That wasn't it. No, it was not. Not to me, at least. I just, no. Don't give him six kids. Come on. They don't know what contraception is at all, (laughs) Flash Funk. But JR explained what a dojo is, because if it's not American... You probably don't remotely have a clue what a dojo is. You don't have a clue what it is. So he had to explain what a dojo was, right? Then he had to explain how the Hart Foundation purchased five front row tickets that just so happened to be all together via a scalper in the front row. Smart. Smart, I guess. Because, you know, if they're not allowed in the building for some reason, they got to buy tickets. But we'll see later on. That meant absolutely nothing, (laughs) right? (laughs) This whole buying tickets thing and the empty chairs that they didn't sit in until the end of the show means nothing. We'll talk about it later. Pretty much, though, China knocked the holy hell out of Flash Funk. Then Jerry Lawler just asked horrible things about China, whether she wears boxers or briefs. You know, JR said he didn't have a clue. And yeah, I just, I don't know what's going on. This commentary. This is probably the worst commentary I've heard from Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler on this night. Yeah, I feel like uh, they weren't prepped to just be those two. Uh, you know, Vince McMahon obviously would be on commentary after this, so I think it was, uh, you know, a family friend had passed away. You know, Jim Ross mentions it at the end of the pay-per-view, and so Vince yep. was not on commentary, and you could just tell, like, that chemistry that we're so used to hearing with Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler was not there on this They just night. made terrible jokes. And then, I don't know, I just didn't like the way they talked about China, which I understand that yeah, she was yeah. a unique yeah. character at this point. But they acted like she was like an alien, though. It's like she has, well, yeah. JR said she has tremendous muscular development, which is like, it's yeah. like I, code for this yeah. woman is way bigger than usual woman. And it's like, we don't have to care, though. She's just a badass. And then Jay Lawler made fun of her chin. And yeah. it's like the. The commentary was just off the rails in this match. I just they were crapping on Albert Bell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like what? Well, was that when he uh, ran over the second baseman around that time? Or I don't. Something? I don't so, know. I just know yeah. that Albert Bell did have a lot of heat on him from the media. It didn't <laughs> help that he was black. <laughs> All right, he might have actually had some mental health issues that Could've, you know, went yeah. undiagnosed. He probably should be in the Hall of Fame with his numbers. But the media hated him, so he's not going to get in the Hall of Fame. But he, like I said, he probably has some actual mental health issues that either didn't go unnoticed or did, did go un, undiagnosed or something that we didn't know of publicly. But that's just not how the pe- way people thought about things back then in the mid-90s. Like we talked about the Prozac thing and then Alba Bell. Back then, he was just a jerk. And maybe he was just a jerk. I don't know. But I think he treated differently today given what we know about mental health and stuff like that because they just crapped on him here 
And I feel like a lot of the media crap. I remember when I was a kid, I remember Alba Bell being like vilified. Yeah, it didn't help, you know, some of his on-field things. Uh, you know, I'm growing up, and I'm impressionable, and I see, like, him uh, run right into a second baseman feeling the ball. I think – I don't remember what second – who it was, but it was like, you know, a sports center and stuff, and I'm just like, man, what a mean guy, you know? But that's because they focused on that. They didn't uh, – like you said, he could have had mental health issues that were undiagnosed. Uh, and – young impressionable kids watching that you're just like man i don't i don't if i if he were to come to philly i would never want like his autograph like but he's just a mean guy like how is albert bell viewed amongst baseball people because i don't i mean i don't really remember vividly a lot of this stuff i do remember some stuff but like I mean, how is he too today young amongst to baseball really, people? Like, today i don't i don't even hear his name like uh right imagine. so yeah it could be on like maybe he was blackballed or something but i just feel like for a guy who was like that hated back in the day it just feels weird that nobody talks about him today but it's like why like what what's the deal what happened how, how do people view albert bell yeah. or do we look back and change do we have people's perception maybe, of him changed i don't know maybe i should go I back see if, uh, charlie manuel mentioned anything about him because he managed him when he was in cleveland so it's uh, true yeah I, i'm pretty sure they were there at the same time uh, maybe i'll have to go back and was see it yeah anything, i guess right uh, yeah because uh, I know Albert Bell was with the White Sox too at some point, uh, maybe another team or two, but uh, I remember him the most with the Indians, so or now the Guardians. Guardians. Um, and the right. uh, you know you mentioned. I also don't like the media having all this. Oh, go ahead. I was say you mentioned like China, and I'm 11 years old. I didn't, based on like what WWF was saying and portraying her, I thought she was a man. Right. Up until her breast implants, like. I was chin? convinced. Like, I was on. like, why are they trying to, like, they're clearly insinuating she's a man, which is weird to me uh, at 11 years old. And I'm just, I'm, like I said, impressionable. I have no clue. I didn't know what to think of her. I was like, she's not really a woman. Like, she's clearly kicking guys' asses. She's a guy type thing. Growing up, you, you see that. And you, you, the way they were talking about her, you just, like, assume that. I thought they were always being honest, obviously. I didn't think it was I didn't know it was fake, you know, I didn't know anything about this, but at 11 and, uh, you know, growing up, I'm kind of, I'm like, I regret looking at it that way, but I didn't know any better and I'm glad I know better now. Not your fault. Not your fault at all. It's very weird for them how how they portrayed her uh, at the very beginning and even when she got breast implants and then got her jaw, uh, plastic surgery on her jaw and I just remember... Uh, thinking, oh, I guess she is a woman, but the way they portrayed her, I had, I would have thought same thing with uh, Cloudy. Remember uh, <laughs> when the oh, body yeah. Donna is like, that was clearly a man in, in drag, but uh, it just really, when I'm that young, like I don't know, and my par- my parents didn't watch it like with me as much, so it's not like they could have said something about it, or if they did right. see it, you know, they didn't say anything about it. Maybe they were uncomfortable talking about it, but. I'm sure they it were. Was very, very mid '90s. Yeah, I mean, people are still uncomfortable talking about it today. I can yeah. only imagine how comfortable, how uncomfortable they were back in 1995 or '97. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's still a wild, you know, a pretty a taboo topic among some people that they don't talk about. They rather hide it because that's what that's what a lot of these laws is. They, rather than being parents, they rather have the laws just keep it away from their kids. It's like that's not yeah. how we should do this, but. Yeah. That's neither here nor there, I guess, for right now. But 
Uh, eventually, Triple H won in uneventful fashion. China picked up Flash Funk, which I'm sure wowed everyone in yeah. attendance. It's like a woman picked up a man. Whoa. Uh, but he walks him over to the other side of the ring after the match and then dropped him on the top rope <laughs> and just left him hanging there, bouncing up and down. And then JR called her a cyborg female. <laughs> what? Like, he acted like he had never, ever in his life seen a woman with muscles in 1997. Yeah. Yeah. They talked about like I wrote they talked about her as almost as if she was a freak. Like she's a human being. She wasn't a circus freak. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like that's why that's what I didn't like. I understand that she is a unique person and that she is a you know woman with very big muscles and all that like and she's beating up the guys and that was very wholly unique in wrestling specifically by 1997. She's an attraction. I understand that. She's still a human. Does not like talk about her as if she, like they called her a cyborg. <laughs> like, there's not the Swiss cyborg like Cesaro neither. It's like it's, you know, when they're complimenting him. This this was not. This didn't feel like compliments. No. You know, or like accentuating her positives, especially when you got Jr. ask not Jr. but Lawler asking if she wears boxes or briefs and, and making fun of her chin. It's just what are we doing here? I, I just didn't like it. I didn't. I didn't like it. I mean, yeah, it's. It's. It I'm sure it ages, was ages poorly. Right. I'm sure it was normal back in '97, and nobody batted an eye. But in 2022, it's like, ooh, man, the way they talked about her was just weird. And it's not like they like embarrassed her on television, like with, with her character. It's just the way they presented her, the way they talked about her. And like you said, it puts you in, it put in your mind that yeah, she, she's not a normal woman. Mm-hmm. Which I mean. She was though. She just had muscles. That's all. Right. She was just strong. She had everything else. She just beat you up. That's <laughs> like don't don't talk don't talk some say some old fly stuff around her. She'll beat you up. She'll pick you up like she did Flash Funk, and then just like, drop you on the top rope. Even uh, the '97 Slammy Awards uh, before WrestleMania, Top Hat Gill had that opening song, and when he he says something about Triple H in China, and uh, it. I forget the exact lyric, but he insinuated that she had uh, male uh, genitalia. And, oh my uh, god! Obviously, I'm that was a month or two prior to this. So, you know, with me being as impressionable as I was, I was just like, yeah, that's not a woman. So why are why are they keep saying that's she's horrible? A woman? Like that's that's horrible. It is. Like it's one it thing is. for the, the worst fans thing to say that might have ever done. It's, it's, it's one thing when the fans insinuate stuff like that. You can control everything the fans insinuate. Right, right. It is, it's, it's another thing when you, the company you work for is insinuating this right. type of stuff. Like, you're not helping her at, at right. all. Like, you're like, oh, well, she wouldn't be here if she didn't look like that. Be like, okay, but don't say the things you're saying about her. Like, it, it's making it bad. It's making it worse. Like, right. just say, imagine, like, she's a woman that could beat up a man. I, I don't I know. That, what, that's the worst you could do. I can only imagine how she was heckled. Because yeah. of that type of stuff, yeah, at live events yep. or because she's standing outside the ring, yeah. with trip, you know, managing Triple H most of the time. So Triple H's in there, he's working, he he is not paying attention to everything. He's got to do his job, but she's just hanging out outside of the ring. I'm sure people said some vile things to her, and I'm sure they didn't help what they were saying about her on television, how they presented her. Mm-mm. So yeah, it's it's not good to to watch back in hindsight, especially early China. When they hadn't, you know, they weren't used to her yet, I guess. 
By 2000, though, it was like China was the biggest, right. arguably one of the biggest stars in the business. By 99, 2000, 97, though, different story. But after that match, JR then kicks it over to some highlights of Shamrock beating the holy hell out of people in UFC, <laughs> right? Which earned him the moniker of the world's most dangerous man, which was a legitimate moniker he was given by ABC, because he's whooping so much ass in UFC. Why does the network forget get to decide that? That's weird, isn't it, though? It's just, look, it's probably like a 2020 type of thing. <laughs> and it probably, it's like, you know, kind of those those uh, features. And they got to put something on it. It's like a title, The yeah. World's Most Dangerous Man. Yeah, yeah, I think back in the day, that's true. UFC was not normal. That was very abnormal for us no. to see. Like, guys just in a cage fighting. Yep. I remember they had, uh, you know, the VHS tapes in our local video store. And I never wanted to right. grab one because it just looks so different and weird and I was dangerous like, yeah I was like nah I'll stick to my professional wrestling <laughs> right this is like this is like something out of a movie but it was real life and he's the guy whooping everyone's ass in there like everybody big yeah, and small that's how I recognize him I recognize him from those like video covers but I never watched a show so right he showed up on raw back in like March of this year I was just like oh Ken Shamrock I remember him from the yep. VHS covers <laughs> and he was like one of the toughest guys out. Like, there are very few people in the world that could probably go toe to toe with Ken Shamrock at this point. Right? So he earns that moniker. But let's not forget, though, Ken Shamrock was a pro wrestler before he got into MMA. He started out in North Carolina. He did a lot in Japan. And God, he I made. Right. He made a lot in Japan, which was also where he made his MMA debut in Japan for Pancrase. On September 21st, 1993. Now, if you've never heard of Pancrase, Pancrase is like this hybrid wrestling slash shoot fight. So it's pretty much wrestling rules, but no to predetermined outcomes or finishes. So people getting the hell beat out of him over there. <laughs> and Ken Shamrock was beating the hell out of a lot of people. So in Pancrase and the MMA, yeah, he earned the fact that he was the world's most dangerous man, at least according to ABC. But yes, he was a wrestler before he got into MMA. He did some wrestling on the side and then went to Japan. So by 1997, though, here we are, 97, he was an MMA legend already. He was at the first UFC show on November 12, 1993. Shamrock lost to Hoist Gracie for his first MMA loss after starting 5-0. He was 5-0 and then lost to Hoist Gracie for his first MMA loss. His, he then had his second loss when he lost his second MMA fight two fights later, I should say, on January, in January of 1994, do you know who his second loss was to? Dan Severn. Close, but not quite. Vader. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is, is it someone that I would know? Prob- yeah, you would know this person. Ken Shamrock versus... Think about it. They've been in AEW recently. Uh, damn. I, I'm blanking. Minoru Suzuki. Oh, wow. Was the second person to beat Ken Shamrock. Right? Wow. Shamrock then won three more fights, including one over Boss Rutten, who was also a legend in MMA, before taking his third loss on September 1st, 1994. 
But after that, he didn't lose again until May 13th, 1995. Between that time, he won nine fights in a row, including getting revenge on for his third loss, which is against Masakatsu Funaki. He gained revenge over him and then beat Boss Rutten again. Boss Rutten, again, a legend, right? He beat him twice. Jeez. They fought a lot Before, back then, huh? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they did. They like fought more, a lot more uh, than they do now. More often, yeah. Yeah. Say, yeah. But his winning streak ended with a draw against Hoyce Gracie. But his unbeaten streak would end the next fight when he lost to who? Dan Severn? Minoru Suzuki again. Oh, damn, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Thought you were setting me up. <laughs> no, Minoru Suzuki beat this man twice. Listen, Minoru Suzuki oh, is a legitimate badass. Do not mess around with Minoru Suzuki. Anybody that looks like that, you got to know there's something up with him. <laughs> and I love it. Uh, but he quickly bounced back by beating Dan Severn <laughs> to, <laughs> to win his first <laughs> UFC championship. And he pretty much became the face of the UFC from there. But to this point in 1997, his last fight was December 7th. 1996, when he beat Brian Johnston via submission. So he hadn't fought by this point. He had fought in the UFC for what, five months, but he was a legend already in the game. And then Jim Ross interviews Ken Shamrock on a Titantron. Shamrock says that he's ready for his fight or whatever. Uh, you know, Vader actually jumped him earlier, right? During the uh, free for all, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And mankind. Yeah. Yeah, Vader and Mankind, but Shamrock says, look, man, I'm, you know, beat some people up. But speaking of Mankind, it's time for the second match of the night, which is between Mankind and a young Rocky Maivia. Who? Rocky Maivia. <laughs> so stupid dog gif. Who? <laughs> yeah, who? Who had a promo before the match that sucked. <laughs> I think uh, I was going to clip it, but then I was just like, yeah, this, I, I should have clipped it just for how bad it was. It, it was, was garbage. I'm glad not, I'm not the only one that thought this, this was garbage, yeah, especially yeah. considering who's cutting the promo. Right, exactly. Wait, you know, what Todd was asking him if he was uh, too, success, too much success and too soon for Rocky Maivia. I was like, okay, like I get the story, but they did nothing to help him. <laughs> <laughs> at Nothing all, and he could not all. help himself at this point. It's like, bro, you got to unleash these guys. This guy, you know, eventually he became The Rock and the best promo pretty much of all time, basically. But here they are making him cut these crappy promos, and it's just more proof that Vince McMahon's vision of a baby face is whack. <laughs> like, yeah. it's so whack. It has always been whack. <laughs> it's always been whack. And really, there's only been really been one person to have really, I guess maybe two, to really properly pull off what Vince McMahon wants in the babyface, and that was Hulk Hogan in the '80s, all right, and John Cena. Yeah. Everybody else, they had to have yeah, some time edge to them. They had to become more of themselves. Even Ultimate Warrior had to do it kind of his way. Randy Savage was his pretty much his own guy. He wasn't necessarily what Vince McMahon probably. That's why Vince McMahon didn't. Pick Hogan and pick Savage over Hogan most of the time. It was always Hogan. He did pick Warrior. Then he went back and chose Hogan again. <laughs> right? But he had to live with the guys like Steve Austin and The Rock because they were making so much money. But his vision of a babyface, his vision of a babyface is generally what Rocky Maivia was in 1997. Yeah. Or what John Cena was pretty much his whole career. But you look at Roman Reigns. 
Look at Roman Reigns now compared to where he was three years ago. It's like night and day. He's like a different person. Yeah. You don't even. I don't even want to go back and watch old Roman Reigns. Give me the tribal chief. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like we did our Roman Reigns retrospective episode like a, a couple of years ago, and it's like so outdated now because right. we covered like everything before COVID, and then it was like post COVID. It's been Roman's like best run and ever. Can't, can't even touch it. So one of the best runs of a singular performer and oh man long, ages long 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 long, long time <laughs> i don't know if you can look at a cena's like, like has cena had a run individual run that's good like, man, yeah, i don't know like whew, like 06 and 07 was pretty good i mean 9 and 10 was pretty good for cena but like as far as like yeah. just from a character just like right hitting every note right and of course, he hasn't lost anything, so that helps, I guess, too. But as far as just a character, he, he's he's living in that character. It's more him than not. Right. So it's just more proof. Vince McMahon's vision of a babyface sucks. All right. The Rock eventually just became himself, and only became the biggest celebrity in the, in the world as a result. Just let people be themselves. But an interesting fact about The Rock, though. Was that he apparently had gotten married just a week prior to this event? His first marriage to Danny Garcia happened May 3rd, 1997, one day after his birthday. They, of course, got divorced in 2008, but have since become business partners and now co own the XFL. And they just make money. Best divorce ever. Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They're literally. Uh, like the poster people for that, I guess. Right. To try they, and they will probably remain the poster people for that. I don't know how yeah. many other divorces end with both sides right. coming out on the better on the other side monetarily, and they do it together. <laughs> like yeah. it's not like they're separately on their own making crazy money. No, they do it together. That's that's wild. So. I guess kudos to them for having the rock can't even have a, a bad divorce. I can do no wrong. <laughs> even his divorces work out for him. He's got all the juice. I wish I could be so lucky. You gotta I have a fall guy to too. I did it for the rock. Exactly. <laughs> it just all falls. Some, some people just got all the luck, man. They just, they just get all the, all the good fortune comes their way. Even when a, a, something bad, like a divorce is generally always bad. Right, even that worked out for this guy, Dwayne Johnson, the luckiest guy on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know that he started with uh, seven dollars in his pocket? Apparently, <laughs> apparently that's the that's the legend uh, that no one has talked about. <laughs> no one, not one person, not one person. person. That seven bucks, man. That's that's the that's the word on the street, though. Yeah. But here you are. And- Seven, and it's Mankind versus Dwayne Johnson. Rock and my via. Rock, whatever you want to call him. The Rock and Sock connection explodes. Right. They would have bangers in 98 and 99. <laughs> this was not one of them. <laughs> Same two people. Different. Totally different. Yeah. Mainly because Mankind was over. Don't get me wrong. Mankind was over. Rocky Maivia was ice 
ice cold. No pop at all for his entrance. <laughs> Homeboy was getting booed during the match. And he was visibly frustrated. Mankind, though, did him a favor. Kindly put him to sleep with the mandible claw. <laughs> he wouldn't hear the booze no more. And and he won the match. That's a great line right there. <laughs> he just did the man a favor. <laughs> he did. That's all. It was very, very uh, funny finish, too, with Rocky doing the cross body block off the top rope and Mankind just rolling over and putting the mandible claw on him, and that was it. Right. <laughs> it's like, damn, Brock. Did, did Brock hurt himself in that crossbody, though? Uh, he, I don't, this is when he hurt his knee, right? And he was out. Was that for, the crossbody? Uh, was that the particular uh, match? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But, but I'm pretty it was, sure this was his last match for a while. Yeah, it was his last pay-per-view match, definitely. For uh, you know, it came back in what July or August to join the nation. So, yeah, yeah, it was. He was out a few months after this. Uh, that might have been the best thing to happen to him, though. <laughs> really, it really was. That's the only thing that could help you in WWF. You get to go away for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, get hurt just to go away. And he's like, you know what? When we bring you back, we'll repackage you. <laughs> but other, if, if that don't happen, though, they're just going to keep trying and trying to put this square peg in a round hole. And it's like, it doesn't work again this week. Still not work. It's still not working. You got to yourself to get off the road so they can finally come up with a new idea. Otherwise, you're going to keep trying the same stupid one over and over again. Maybe that's the advice Mick gave him during the match. Be like, listen, you got to get, <laughs> get a real injury here so you can come back and be better in a few months. Right. Let me help you. We can have some, ba- <laughs> we can have some bangers, but you, we're not going to have these bangers when you... No more ice, ice cold. <laughs> now you ice cold, talk about too cold, Scorpio. You are too cold. You got to go away. <laughs> right. You're going to opt it over. You are under, sir. You're not over. So we got to help you out. You know what I'm saying? We do this for both of us. But moving on, it is now time for a gauntlet match. It is Ahmed Johnson going against three members of the Nation Domination gauntlet style. We got Crush, Salvio Vega, and the leader of the Nation Domination, Farouk. If the Nation Domination lost, it would be forced to disband. But they're coming in all ailing. Quote unquote. They're all nursing injuries, right? Savio Vega had an ankle. Crush, I believe, had the flu or something like that, they said. Yeah, he had the flu. And then Farouk had a shoulder injury. His arm was in the sling, yet still participating in the match. Even though all the whole crew, the whole crew of Nation Domination came out to the ring, Gorilla Monsoon came out like, nah, y'all got to go. <laughs> They didn't leave the building. They didn't leave the arena, though. They stayed at the stage. So they weren't that far away. They did. But they couldn't be at ringside. The first uh, in your house set that had the stage, by the way. Oh, it is. I didn't know that. The first one uh, that had red ropes as well. Oh, my God. History was made. How about that? On May 11th, 1997. (laughs) Red ropes and a stage. How about it? (laughs) But then, you know, before the match or maybe during the match, we get JR talking about Ahmed Johnson. And Ahmed Johnson was a gang member. Grew oh. up in a very abusive household. And it's just like, why do we have to have all this trauma for these people? And they did it again with Ken Shamrock, too. At least he wasn't black, though. But it just reminded me of, like, 
remember if it was the 2020 NFL draft? Yeah. And it's uh, even more pertinent because yep. people were at home watching it on TV. There's COVID. Nobody had anything else to do. So things that were happening, people paid more attention to all of a sudden. And every time they talked about, when, especially when a black player got drafted, they talked about all of the traumatic things that person had been through. Before they got drafted. Mom was on drugs. Dad was dead. Brother was locked up for life. He had no money. Crime was everywhere. But now he's in the NFL and all that's gone all of a sudden. It's like, what? Right. wait a second, man. Right. Damn, don't we have other stories to tell? They don't tell us about the white kid who grew up rich and <laughs> had a nice, perfect family. Yeah. No, but daddy dead and mama gone. It's like, damn. Not every black person's story has to involve some life altering trauma or racism. But you see that in like mainstream media and movies and television, stuff like that. It's always involving something like that. There's other black stories to tell besides that. And the black people, I think, kind of getting collectively kind of tired of the same, you know, slavery movies. I'm done with slavery movies. Really am. Yeah. You know, movies about, you know, black people getting dis- being discriminated against, you know, whether it's back in the day or today. I'm kind of over the trauma porn of that as well. There are other black stories. <laughs> so... I understand this is 97. It's just different time. But just a note for today, there are other black stories. We don't have to have the six kids at home. He got to feed time to heart. He needs this job. Or Ahmed Johnson, gang member, you know, all this stuff. We just, there's other stories to tell. Even though Ahmed Johnson's story could have very well been true. Like, I think we talked about this before. When he wearing all the red, and then I think Jim Ross said he was a blood. I was yeah. like, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> That's why his all his gear is red. Okay, that explains a lot. Because Ahmed Johnson never wore black. He never wore blue. He never wore any other color but See, red. It's funny he wore black when he joined the nation, though. He Until, did. Then he got injured, and then that was it. He and he did. went right You're back right, to actually, the red. <laughs> he did. But it's just it's just. Funny. But he had like the extra colors, like the red, the yellow, the green, whatever. Uh, right. The other colors were as well, but. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think he eventually did return right. from an injury, but it went right back to the red. Like that was that nation failure turn, whatever. That was it. That was the only time he didn't wear red. <laughs> I don't think I don't even just, remember what he wore in WCW when he was like Big T. I, remember I that? don't remember anything him WCW. for the better. I don't remember anything. I think him and Stevie Ray teamed up to form Har- Harlem Heat again. It was like. Harlem Heat 2.0. Harlem Heat 2000? <laughs> without Booker T? You can't have Harlem yeah. Heat without Booker T. No, I'm that might sorry, have been when Booker Ray. T was... Uh, th- him and Big T like had a match for the T or something. The T! And then uh, I think, isn't that when Big T won and then Booker had to become GI Bro? I, the timeline with so WCW kind of... probably... Like, that yeah. can't rule it out. Right, exactly. I got to go back and like WCW. research that. But off the top of my head, I, I can't tell if that was the right timeline or not. But that was peak WCW 99, 2000-ish. 2000, oh my God. I, I was watching it, bro. Booker T was like the top singles guy, which is nothing wrong yeah. with that. But it's like he's all they had. Yeah, <laughs> like, really, that was it. He was all they had as far as like future potential. It wasn't Jeff Jarrett. It wasn't going to be DDP at that point. It wasn't going to be Sting at that point. It was Booker T. Unfortunately, um, but yeah, back to Big T or Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> uh, he goes against Crush as far as the first part of the gauntlet. Uh, he beats Crush obviously by reversing the heart punch with a spin kick. How about right? That? How about that? 
Next in, though, was Savio Vega, again, who has a bad ankle. And then Lawler asked about Ahmed Johnson's nasal strip, right, that he wear on his, you know, that's what I think players might still do it today, but they definitely did it back in the day in football. And even JR was like, hey, this is one of those things that helps his breathing, one of those Jerry Rice gimmicks. And it's like, Jerry Rice gimmicks? Jerry Rice is only the one of the best football players that's ever lived. I don't know if we can just call it the Jerry Rice gimmick. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you just throw it out there, one of those Jerry Rice gimmicks. Jerry Rice is a legend, though, so maybe it's not a bad thing. Uh, Jerry Rice does it. It's probably, you know, a good thing. But uh, Savio Vega, he he doesn't really care about winning this match. He just uses a steel chair and gets himself disqualified. <laughs> Beats up Ahmed Johnson, softens him up for Farouk to saunter on down to the ring. Takes the sling off. He's not hurt. <laughs> right. That was, you know, the sling was supposedly helping his injured shoulder. But, of course, it's a, it's all a ruse. A clever ruse. Didn't matter because Ahmed Johnson still hit the Pearl River plunge. However, he was unable to cover Farouk oh, in no. time. Unfortunately for Ahmed Johnson. Then Farouk hit the Dominator. And then he won. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I mean, WWE did a lot to protect Ahmed Johnson with the structure of the match and on commentary. They really, if there's one thing that JR and, and King did do well in this night was protect Ahmed Johnson with that finish. And talked about how he couldn't possibly he couldn't beat three guys. The, the, the styles are too tall. If it was one on one, he would have had him, but it was three guys, so he couldn't get it done. And it's okay like, to lose to three people. Mm-hmm. You know? So I will give them credit for that. That they did make sure to go out of their way to protect Ahmed Johnson with that finish. But moving on. But we'll then get a recap of Shamrock and Vader's confrontation from Raw earlier in the week. And uh, this is why I noticed there was a lot of video packages on the show from for, yeah. for, like every match. They, they would do like a, a recap of like recent events. It wasn't like a stylized video package telling the story. Just like, hey, this happened. And now it's time for the match. And it's like, okay. Yeah. All right. Y'all could just go to the music too. Like, you could just go to the match like they've done on other shows. But we then go to Todd Pettengill, who is about to interview Vader. And Todd Pettengill. The sly guy he is throws in a shot about Vader being on a tear, not only in the WWF, <laughs> but also on Kuwait TV announcers. And you're like, that was a shot out of nowhere. Why? Well, because Vader damn near beat up a Kuwaiti TV announcer in April of 1997, <laughs> only the month prior. And this is a legendary clip where him and The Undertaker was on. Uh, Kuwait TV, you know, promoting a show they had over there, and the guy asked, you know, Undertaker and Vader about whether wrestling is, you know, fake or real or whatever. Undertaker kept this cool. We're gonna give Undertaker credit <laughs> for anything. Yeah. He, he was a champion. He's like, he just kept this cool. Also, this is Undertaker out of the gimmick. He looks like the American Badass Undertaker in '97. Yeah. yeah. So go back and watch it, and it's like, oh, okay. But Undertaker, cool, calm, and collected. <laughs> it's like. Okay, I heard that slide remark you made, but I'm not going to, you know, bite the, take the bait. I know what's going on here. Vader, on the other hand, was like, nope, I'm keeping the same energy. <laughs> I'm keeping that Dr. Dave, uh, Dr. D, Dr. D. David Schultz energy, <laughs> right? I'm about to make you John Stossel from ABC real quick, make an example out of you. And Undertaker sitting there was like, oh, no, don't do this, <laughs> right? This is not good. And Vader gets and cusses at him and, and you know, accost this guy on television. Yeah. 
Right? He's just, you know, he asked, yeah, maybe you don't like the question, but he's just doing his job. <laughs> but Vader kept it too real. <laughs> it's a prime example of when keeping it real goes wrong. Because Vader got arrested <laughs> and charged with assault while using obscene language on television, which, hey, mm. that may not sound like a big deal here in the States, but it might be in other places. Can't mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. And Vader was stuck in Kuwait for two weeks as a result. Mm-hmm. Vader started out kind of cool, right? He started out kind of calm, but he turned up real quick. And it's just another example of when keeping it real goes wrong. He kept it too real in a foreign country. Can't do it. But, you know, let's be honest. Vader could have done a lot worse to this guy. He didn't really, like, rough him up too bad. Right. In their country, you got to play by their rules. And when he, what he did by their rules was really bad. So you can't just running around, gripping up television announcers and cussing at them on television. <laughs> Not good, Vader. I don't know if they added that into his Titantron video, but by July, when I think when we did the deep dive into Canadian Stampede, we saw it, like him roughing up the Kuwait uh, r- reporter, and it wow. was actually in his Titantron. <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted that if I was Vader. Like, bro, I almost got locked up for that. <laughs> How about we don't do that? I was in Kuwait for two weeks <laughs> because of that. That's that's rough. How we how did we not do that? It was not Vader time. No, it was go to jail time. <laughs> Because you tripping. Take it easy, bro. <laughs> We're going to get paid regardless. <laughs> like, you had to defend the sanctity of wrestling in this form, in a foreign country. It didn't work out for Dr. D. David Schultz. Right? It didn't work out for him. I think his career pretty much ended after the whole John Stossel incident. So take it easy, Vader. Take it easy, but the next match involves Vader. It is a no-holds-barred match. You got Vader going against Ken Shamrock. The only way to win is by knockout or submission. There are no pinfalls and no standing eight counts. So I guess it's like wrestling MMA hybrid type of thing Mm -hmm. to show how much of a badass Ken Shamrock is. How about that? Vader was a beast. Right, and it should have been better utilized in WWF. I think everybody agrees with that, correct? It's definitely by this time. I thought he, his his run started pretty well, but yeah, by by this point, maybe like right after it, it was just kind of like he was unserious <laughs> after this. Right. With that said, though, I think Vader was the perfect person for Shamrock to go up against mm-hmm. to to show wrestling fans why. He is known as the world's most dangerous man. Right? Because he had credibility yeah. with wrestling fans. People knew Vader was not to be messed with. At least, like, he looked like it. Even though, apparently, in real life, he was a really nice guy. But if you got Vader turned up, he could do some damage, clearly. So, for Shamrock to go up against him, it made sense to me. It wasn't necessarily great for Vader. I think... Vader was done much worse besides this. You know what I'm saying? This is just a loss to a, the world's most dangerous man. But losing to Shawn Michaels and all the other things that happened to him along the way in WWF, that was far worse than losing to Ken Shamrock in his first match. Yeah. Am, am I tripping? No. No, I'd, I'd agree with that. Okay. It's, you know, I think this was, this was a smart play by WWF. What's not smart 
was Shamrock's theme music. I, for this I match. noted that too. Woo! <laughs> uh, thank Bro. goodness they eventually gave him that banger, but yeah, not here. Yeah, Jim Johnson had to go back to the drawing board <laughs> after this nonsense because this was trash. And then it sucks that you got Vader's theme music at the same time, and his theme music is a banger. Yep. You imagine having Vader and then Ken Shamrock with both of their theme music yeah. together? That would have been dope. Yeah. yeah, I probably would have just wouldn't even watch the match. I would have just kept rewinding the entrances over and over again because <laughs> I love those songs. But They're nope, great. couldn't do that because Ken Shamrock's song sucked. We had to go back, and Jim Johnson had to go back to the drawing board on that one. Uh, Vader though did not hold back on Shamrock. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, Vader was knocking the hell yeah. out of Shamrock in this match, which I'm not totally surprised by, but it was still wild to watch. It was. It was definitely. I I, I remember it watching it live, not thinking much of it. You know, when I'm that young, I'm just like, okay, Ken Shamrock's obviously gonna win. I understand how things work now, but uh, looking it back for for this show, I. I think Vader even like got legit hurt a couple times. You know they were they were pretty stiff with each other, and I, th- I think it helped them out match out actually. I agree. That's probably the directive. It's like, hey, yeah. you know, this guy's legitimate. We gotta make it look a little more legitimate than normal. So it's gonna hurt, but you guys are gonna have to stiffen up a little bit. And look, Shamrock, that's. Shamrock is a wrestler. He gets it. And he did pan craze and all that stuff. Like, so he he can work to shoot work style. Mm-hmm. And Vader, I mean, he pretty much was knocking the hell out of people on a regular anyway. Like, that <laughs> yeah. was his normal. Right. Was just punching the hell out of people. So that's just what he did normally. Or he just, he's like, hey, I get to do this again. Yay. Like, <laughs> I didn't work the way I want to. <laughs> I'm sure they were both comfortable with it. And it, it worked out pretty well. I mean, the match itself. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think uh, Ken even did the when, when at WrestleMania when he grabbed Bret Hart by the waist after the match and threw him down. He did like the same thing to Vader, and I think Vader hurt his uh, left shoulder slash tricep bicep area mm-hmm. maybe, and he actually walked around the ring a few times uh, trying to loosen it up or whatever. And I I, I don't think he would have done. I don't know if. It was a work, you know, that he was trying to put Shamrock over or whatever, but uh, I thought that was a very, like, cool detail that I'd missed before. I just didn't pay attention to it before. And the fact that Vader did a moonsault, too, later on when Shamrock tried to roll out of the way but didn't get enough, uh, didn't roll out quick enough, and Vader still nope. got a piece of him. But, <laughs> you know, like that, you know, Shamrock bounced up. Bounce back, bounced up quite a bit after some stiff shots. It looked like Vader was giving them. So uh, yeah. I enjoyed this match. Probably the my favorite match of the night, obviously, for, for this particular show because uh, it was only thirteen minutes, but it it was it had a lot of what like I would consider uh, things that happened where like it wasn't fluid, but at the same time, like because it was no holds barred, it didn't need to be. I was learning how Ken Shamrock was like. It was definitely different for that era of yeah. WWF, and I think that's what made me like pay attention the most about it at, at that right. time. Because I lo- like, yeah, I like Stone Cold Steve Austin, but like that—that's a WWF title match with the Undertaker. It's like WWF, but this didn't feel like WWF. It was it, exactly. it was different. Yeah, and I think that's why it worked so well because that was yeah. what WWF wanted. You can't have this guy come in there and it's just like every 
match. Right. At least that's how they thought back then. Now we got Ronda Rousey in there, and she's just having just another yeah. match like everybody else. Yeah. Now, some people might like it, but I can see how some people think it's the wrong thing to do because she is different. She is a legitimate fighter. So maybe you present her differently, but they haven't done that. And I don't necessarily blame them for because Ronda is capable of having normal wrestling matches like mm-hmm. with everybody else. Shamrock was also capable, but they he was still man was still a novelty, much more so than it is today. So you're still introducing people to this style, and got to show people what makes Ken Shamrock the world's most dangerous man. Well, you got to kind of element, so to speak, to show people. And I think this match, that was the intention of this match, and I think it worked out pretty well. Was it my favorite match of all time? No, but it was for what it was. I think they did they got the job done. And like you said, Vader tried to hit that moonsault. Shamrock didn't move out the way fast enough. <laughs> he got hit straight in the back of the head yeah. by uh, Vader's massive legs. Uh, but look, Shamrock, out of, my ankle, out of nowhere, made Vader tap out. He, he won the match. Yeah. And Vader sold and then, it really well after where he he was grabbing Tim White to like help him to the back. So he... he he was selling yeah. really well. I was like, "Damn, that ankle lock's deadly." Maybe, well, not yep. deadly, but it, it just you know. it just helped make Shamrock look more of a badass, right? When Vader is selling to that extent. Yep. One thing I did find funny though was that somebody had a sign in the crowd that said, "Mike Tyson is a coward." <laughs> yeah. Because apparently Shamrock had challenged Mike Tyson at some point before this. Yeah, that's what Jim Ross said on commentary, but you know, I don't recall that Mike at Tyson all. wasn't he. Uh, he wasn't like the world's most dangerous man, but did he have like a moniker as well? He was the the baddest man on the planet. Baddest man on the planet. Yeah. Well, how did I forget that one? Jeez. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you know, I see that. Uh, maybe they maybe they thought there was a chance to do Tyson versus Shamrock. Who knows? Well, but Tyson eventually shows up in WWF the next year and was in the main event of WrestleMania. Yeah. No, uh, Shamrock, no, not. no, like interaction with shamrock on screen at least too so no well by that point steve austin was the guy yeah so if you're yeah. gonna put him bit tyson in there with somebody it's gonna be austin Should i, I know by january joke, 98 they were like uh what we said in may 97 doesn't apply right now <laughs> pretty much pretty much because they again they hadn't built up shamrock to that level yet right even though he was a guy by january 98 he was a guy but he wasn't quite that guy yet and he never really was Shamrock never really got to that main event level when he was in main events consistently. For whatever, don't know why. Because I feel like he should have been. I agree. But I don't know. I guess maybe they thought it was too short or something or couldn't talk. I don't know. I feel like people like Ken Shamrock regardless <laughs> of what yeah. he looked like and what he sounded like. He was badass. People just gravitate to badasses regardless of what they sound like and regardless of how entertaining they are. If you beat people's asses, a lot of times, that's what people like. <laughs> like, that's all it is. <laughs> that's all it has to be. So, but, you know, it's a good what-if conversation, I guess. Is You know, what if Shamrock had gotten to that level? What if they put him with Mike Tyson? What would have happened? Who knows? But that's just what we're left with here in 2022. But we go backstage once again with Todd Pettengill, who is now interviewing Steve Austin, who says... He don't give a damn about those five empty chairs at ringside that the Hearts Foundation was supposed to be sitting in. Because by this point, we're now about time for the main event. Heart Foundation hasn't been seen yet. They paid good money for them seats. 
from a scalper. You know they, that that was way above the market value they paid for those seats, right? Yeah. But Got they it. weren't there yet. Right. That's how the scalper makes a profit. But then Todd Pettengill walks us through a clip of, the, of Austin hitting The Undertaker with a stunner on Raw two weeks prior. And The Undertaker countered and hit Austin with a chokeslam. Even though it was clearly a chokeslam, Todd Pettengill, your boy. Yeah. Your boy. <laughs> I, I, yeah. yeah. Your boy. Yeah. Called it a tombstone power driver. Sorry, it was Todd. more tombstone or power It was a choke slam. What happened here, Nick? You got it. I he probably was watching uh, Undertaker give Stone Cold Steve Austin a tombstone at, at like a house show, and that's probably what he was watching. So we probably saw what? something different than what Todd was watching at the time. It's the only explanation I have. No, I'm not buying it. <laughs> nope. Nope. <sighs> if the only explanation Freudian you have slip. is that he was watching something different, <laughs> we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Yeah. Now maybe he did eventually tombstone him, but we didn't see it. I don't know. We did not. We saw the choke slam. Yeah. You would think he would have a monitor in front of him and would see, hey, he hits him with a choke slam. Just say what's happening. Yeah. yeah. Just say what's happening. But whatever. We move on to the main <laughs> event. It is for the WWF Championship. It is The Undertaker defending the WWF Championship against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Steve Austin comes out and is trying his damnedest to heal. But man, those fans popped when he came out. (laughs) He was trying so hard to be a heel. The the meme mug on his face to walk. And people were like, hey, we like you. He wasn't embracing any of it. And he still didn't for a long time. It just I don't know why just it only made the people like him even more, it which is yeah. it's always funny when WWE when they flip you know turn the heel to a baby face, all of a sudden they start making that person smile yeah. and they start catering to the fans more. It's like you just changed what we liked about him. Right. <laughs> Th- then they wonder why the fans don't mess around with them you know months later and their heat dies down. Why you changed them? That's not what fans like to begin with. They don't like the smiling guy. Or the smiling person, smiling girl, or whatever. And like, hey guys, how's it going? High fiving everybody. They like Steve Austin because he didn't do any of that. Don't change it. And WWF didn't. Or Steve Austin didn't. Maybe it was his call, which is good by him. Maybe. Maybe they were, were telling him, go out there, smile, right. and slap hands. And he's like, okay. And then as soon as he gets out there, he right. doesn't do any of it. <laughs> doesn't do it. They can't stop you. What's we'll exactly. the yeah, what it's are they live, pal. <laughs> it's live. We're live. So, what are you going to do? Call, tell the referee to send him backstage? Send someone else out there? Like, <laughs> Put no. a smile on your goddamn face, damn it. <laughs> tell him to smile, damn it. He'll go back. He'll be like, wasn't I smiling? Oh, okay. Turn I'll, I'll do it next upside time. upside down. <laughs> Turn it upside down, damn it. You're going to be out there. You're going to like it. Smile. before the match starts though guess who shows up at ringside the heart foundation oh but but they're not fans they're not fans though they walked down the aisle from backstage yeah how'd they get back there then they opened up the guardrail so they can sit in their seats and it's like (laughs) why did they come from backstage though 
just to put them where the fans are just doesn't make any sense. I, I think, and it's funny because I'm the same way with like, back then it seemed like everything made sense. Like they put so much into the creative decisions where every little detail made sense. And the only thing I think of is how were they going to get the wheelchair? They didn't want, I guess, fans to... Like, was the wheelchair too big? I, I don't know. To go through the fans? It just like, has to whatever. be a different but, way then. You I know. Like, it was 97. Wasn't, thing. like, every arena handicap accessible at that point? Like, I don't... I mean, they could have been on the floor and just come Maybe not. to those, <laughs> to those rows. Like, I mean, they were in the Richmond Coliseum, right? So I don't know how old that building was, but... Maybe not. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it made no creative sense for them to come from the back if they were buying tickets from a scalper type thing, but... Right, they could have just ran down and in, in a it's theater. The worst creative miss tickets. of this pay per view. <laughs> Pretty much, I didn't understand it. I, I didn't understand it. Uh, Austin and Undertaker, they don't understand it neither. But they just they slug it out <laughs> to start the match, and then Austin just runs out of the ring and pulls Owen Hart over the <laughs> into the ringside <laughs> area and hell. starts whooping his ass. <laughs> right, then Undertaker tosses Austin to the side and then just knocked the hell out of Owen Hart back into his seat. Then he hit Bulldog. It's like, damn, this is awesome yeah. already. They didn't even like respond. It was like the funniest <laughs> part of it. <laughs> Stuff is just happening. Kevin and Anvil are probably like, hey, leave them alone. <laughs> right. Hey, get back. Do your job. And they were literally yelling at like security to do their job because Nightheart was yelling at somebody <laughs> at some point. <laughs> That's funny. Get away. Do your jobs. <laughs> you know. So that was a thing. But then Jr. said that Undertaker was from Death Valley, California. Yeah. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. No, that's not the actual place, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I don't think that's the Death Valley Fink has in mind when he says that, or that everyone else is referring to. I think Undertaker's Death Valley is just hell, right? Like, yeah, you know, because Death Valley is a place in California. Undertaker's not from California though; he's from Houston, <laughs> Texas. He's a Texan, right? So the Death Valley, California thing, which is nonsense. It's just silly. But if for those that don't know, Death Valley, California, is in the eastern part of the state. And it's a big old desert that is one of the hottest places on earth during the summer. So it sounds uninhabitable, yeah. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> Nobody's from there. <laughs> Not even The Undertaker. He'd rather be in hell than there. So I just, I just didn't understand it. But at one point, Jr. did bring up a good point in calling out Jerry Lawler and his hypocrisy because he was all on the side of the Hart Foundation. Hart Foundation this, Hart Foundation that. But who was public enemy number one to the Hart Foundation just a couple years prior? Or to the Hart family? <laughs> the King. Jerry the King Lawler. <laughs> we just talked about this on the In Your House episode. Yeah. We talked about this yeah. numerous times in the past. Just two years prior. Jerry Lawler would just trash Helen Hart on a weekly basis, and Stu Hart, all the Hart family, all of them. But all of a sudden, he's on their side. I thought that was pretty funny <laughs> to bring that up. Uh, I thought it was pretty funny of Jared to bring that up. Uh, but yes, again, back to Jim Neidhart yelling at people, for yelling at security to keep the fans away from them. I don't blame Jim Neidhart for that because people are crazy and you should not take anyone lightly. Mm-hmm. So kudos to him for yeah, what you're doing. Uh, let's get let's get this thing going here. Do your jobs. 
But back in the ring, Austin and Undertaker are exchanging low blows. Yeah. Uh, just hitting each other with low blows. Nobody's getting disqualified. Uh, Earl Hebner gave Steve Austin a double bird at one point. It's like, what's going We're We're beyond like a Tommy Young shove I, I, on Ric Flair. <laughs> now referees are giving wrestlers middle fingers. I kind of laughed at that. That would have been the coolest thing Earl Hebner's ever done in his life. Um, it was just so wild. It was funny because Austin gave the low blow first. And then Undertaker gave a second, and then like Austin is uh, when Earl was admonishing Austin for the low blow. As soon as he turns around, Austin gives him the middle finger behind his back, and I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> the crowd's <laughs> popping and everything. So like, yeah, screw Earl, he sucks. And then Taker gives him a low blow, and Austin's literally trying to get him disqualified or like point at it, and Earl Hebner's, you kicked him in the nuts, f you, like with the middle finger, and it just but also that, that was a great spot. If you get disqualified, you do not win the title. Exactly. So exactly. So. You're better off not getting disqualified. Right. Um, but or or not maybe, getting maybe he was just like, see, he low blow me. What the hell? So I don't know. So that was a wild moment. But Austin eventually hits a stunner. He went for a cover, but Brian Pillman picks up the ring bell because now he's just at the ringside area. Yeah. He just jumps in and grabs the ring bell. Security's not doing their job. Jim Anvil the Nightheart's like, I'm not good. at all. I'm good. When somebody could just jump in the ring, grab the ring belt, and start start ringing it, he's he's just a fan, yeah. and there was no security around to tackle him. Mm-mm. But nope, not this time. Usually, security will cut you in half with a tackle. Boom, boom, <laughs> like high low you if you do something like that. Not this time. Uh, <laughs> Austin Undertaker trade Tombstone counters until the former, the champion, hits the actual Tombstone to win the match and retain the championship. But before we could even begin a celebration, the Hart Foundation immediately jumped the guardrail and attacked the Undertaker. Yeah. But Bret Hart was left alone wow. <laughs> at ringside because he's in his wheelchair. he can't move. <laughs> he can't really. He's not, he's not mobile. But guess who noticed that? <laughs> Steve Austin. Who... <laughs> <laughs> Who eventually got <laughs> spotted Bret Hart in the wheelchair and dumped him out of it, then took one of his crutches and tried to attack Brian Pillman. But Brian Pillman got away. British Bulldog did not. <laughs> and he got hit with the crutch. Then the Undertaker choke slammed Owen Hart. Again, this is awesome. All hell is breaking loose. Okay. This is like just one of the best parts of the show here. Okay. So Austin does his thing to Bret Hart. Undertaker choke slams Owen Hart. Undertaker officially gets announced as champion, right? He's still the champion. This reminds Steve Austin that he doesn't like this. He was fighting the Hart Foundation, <laughs> took his mind off the Undertaker. Then he's like, oh, wait, he's still the champion? He congratulated the Undertaker with a stunner. <laughs> <laughs> right? Undertaker doesn't sell it too much. Gets up eventually and angrily storms off to end the show because I'd be upset too. Like, damn it, I'm just out here to try to defend my title. And I got Austin being mad, I got the Heart Foundation, and I get the stunners. What the hell's going on out here? <laughs> right? And he storms off. And then Jim Ross, as we mentioned earlier, gave a very heartfelt message to a friend of the McMahon family in Rose Anderson, who apparently had passed away the night before. So, and that's how we end Cold Day in Hell from the WWF in 1997. Nick, 
Any final thoughts on this on this pay per view that some stuff happened and others didn't? It was, was kind of a very, to me, a very a very average pay per view. Yeah, yeah. I will say, I often think about this when we watch some '97 stuff from the WWF and how close they possibly came to fumbling the bag with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Because by this point, he was one of the hottest acts, if not the hottest act in the company. And he wouldn't be world champion until almost another year later. And he was he won the Royal Rumble this year. He was in the main event February in your house. He was in the best WrestleMania match ever. He was main event in the April in your house, main event in the May in your house. And then the next month, he would be in a mid-card match with Shawn Michaels. They would be tag team champions. That July, was cool, they were the Canadian Stampede. It, the King of the Ring that. stuff was pretty cool, though. I yeah, yeah. And it was cool. at right. SummerSlam where you, I felt like, and no disrespect to Owen Hart, obviously, but it's a, it's a notch down of where he was on the card. You know, now he's like in the mid-card. Bret Hart's but the a, champion. But at least, at least he was supposed to win the title for the first time, though, right? Yeah. It's a continental title. Yeah. That was supposed to be a big night for him to be solidified, yeah. but... Yeah, you know, obviously things went left. That's true, and who knows how the end of '97 would have played out with a healthy Steve Austin, and uh, but obviously they they sent him, they put him with Owen before you know the injury. So I'm just wondering, like they they were playing with fire. They really were. Austin got hurt, and they weren't sure if he would be able to come back. So uh, I think perhaps. I wonder when they decided that WrestleMania would be his his crowning moment. Like, because a year prior he was already like so white hot. It was it was crazy. How how could they wait a year to do it? Like it would have to be perfect. And uh, perhaps the injury helped them creatively into keeping him on TV, but also not allowing him to wrestle, which would heal him hopefully enough to be able to wrestle at WrestleMania, win the title, and then go from there. And uh, yeah, it's just it's crazy the timeline of events that happened at 97 and 98 for Austin. And, uh, you know, it was obviously The Undertaker was the guy. I, I do wonder if Bret Hart was going to be the guy to lose the title to Austin before they did the whole contract thing and everything like that with Vince and Bret. But that would have been, I obviously think Austin beating Bret for the title would have been a hell of a lot cooler. But I think they could obviously did a good job with Shawn Michaels and do all that. Like, it, but like that whole Brett Austin feud, we talked about it before. How great that feud was! So that could have definitely been the cap. And Austin against all against like the biggest odds, his injury, and then winning the title from Shawn Michaels, where he Bret Hart left the company, so he didn't really have you know his number one blood feud guy to feud with at the time, and he still made you know became the what highest grossing uh, wrestler ever. So. I don't know I if it was more than Hogan, but it, it, he became it was one A, if not one. So I, I will say that I think Bret Hart leaving actually helped Steve Austin, and that it just cleared the way for him, kind of. Like I feel like when you ask, like why did like they were kind of playing with fire by taking a long time to finally put him in that spot. Well, I guess for one, they wanted to do it at a WrestleMania, right? And they were playing with fire because he did get hurt. He broke his <laughs> neck. He could have been paralyzed, and that would have been it. But fortunately, that that's not the case. But I think the fact that Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels like, moved people around in that spot 
that it took a little while to get Steve Austin there. I guess, you know, you can't just throw him up there and you might rank on some feathers, maybe. Mm-hmm. Particularly Brett's and Sean's, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. But with Brett having the screw job thing happen to him, he's gone. So now Steve Austin is the next guy. But also, don't forget, after WrestleMania, Sean is now gone. Yeah. So that really cleared the way for Steve Austin to really take over. Yep. Where that may or may not have happened yeah, if Brett and yeah. Sean were I mean, around. You're absolutely right because there's not even the Undertaker would have been like, yo, like I'm the top, I'm I should be at the top spot. Like he was right. more a company guy than you no know, Brett or Sean. And I think that's a great point because Austin literally like he could have held the title forever, and they did the choice, the the chase when Undertaker and Kane beat him, and then The Rock would win the title they for the next year's Mania. So, with Brett and Sean there, yeah, I could absolutely see if, if like he if Austin had like a three month run, both of them would be like ah, it's not working out. Like we we got to take the title off him. They would probably try and persuade Vince to to do something, and without right. them there, I absolutely think you're correct, and that Austin like. They gave him the ball and ran with it, and there was no other guy to give it to. There really wasn't. Right. Like Mankind wasn't going to – or Mick Foley wasn't going to get get the title from him. The Undertaker wasn't going to get the title from him. So Right. The uh, runaway was clear for him yeah. to take off. Yeah. There was so, no obstacles in his way. So absolutely. And, and I will say, even point. though he lost Bret Hart as his number one blood feud person, he had to go to Shawn Michaels, which was not like his person he had been feuding with for the last year and change. They also added Mike Tyson. And yeah. it didn't really matter who right. Steve Austin was feuding against when you had Mike Tyson in the sure. fold. Sure. Even though Shawn Michaels is a great you know, person to, to be that guy, but I think even Shawn Michaels would admit he just wasn't in a great physical shape. He wasn't probably in the best mental mind state. He wasn't the Shawn Michaels that we had been accustomed to seeing. He wasn't 100% at his peak. He was doing the best he could just to get through WrestleMania. Yeah. But really what carried that was I want to say what care. Yeah, I guess we carried it with Steve Austin and Mike Tyson. It really was. I mean, they were the main focus for right. weeks and weeks. Sean and weeks. was just a champion, and he was there to, to lose and then go away because he had to get <laughs> healthy. That's pretty much it. And Sean didn't like that, but that's what happened. And it's funny because it wasn't even like DX, the new DX feuded with Austin. You know, nope. it was like they went, they rebuilt Triple H, X Pac, the New Age Outlaws, and then exactly. did their own thing. They so. didn't try to get revenge on Steve Austin, which would have made sense. And you got this mm-hmm. heel faction now getting revenge for their fallen leader, and now they got three three new members, right? Yeah, X Pac and the New Age Outlaws. So yeah, now there's there's more heaters for Triple H or something like that. If Triple H was the guy to go up against Steve Austin, but they didn't put Triple H in that spot. I guess they didn't think he was ready. Guess not. And he wasn't. Guess not. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I mean, he was ready for it the next year, but I guess he needed yeah. that extra year. Yeah. Don't know. But in I did enjoy that Triple H Rock. Spot. I did enjoy the Triple H Rock feud. I did as well. So. And it was I'm a good way to get way. The Rock ready for yeah. what was about to come in 99. Yep. You know, so they both they they both needed that time probably in that spot to get ready for 99 when The Rock was in the main event of WrestleMania and Triple H won his first WWF title. So, it all worked out. Follow me at underscore Pacone on Twitter and follow us on Twitter at The Shooters Pod and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Shooters Pod. And check me out, phillyinfluencer.com, foxphlgambler.com. I am at Vaughn M. Johnson on Twitter. You can find me there or possibly out here in these streets. You can make a Patreon request. 
head on over to Patreon, patreon.com slash the shooters pod. You put in a request, we shall fulfill your request, and then you can make a cameo and talk about the show with your boys here on the Straight Shooters. Again, patreon.com slash the shooters pod. Again, it doesn't have to be a wrestling show. In particular, it could be anything wrestling related. We do movies, we do TV shows, we might we're gonna do a doc soon. We're gonna do we done Beyond the Map. We're gonna do wrestling with shadows in the future. But until next time, for Nick Pacone, I am Vaughn Johnson. Thanks for listening to episode 363 of the Straight Shooters, and we'll catch y'all again next week.